listening to a special presentation of World Footprints, the leader in socially responsible travel and lifestyle, with your award-winning hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, coming to you live from the French Quarter Festival in the magnificent city of New Orleans. And now, without further ado, here are Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints Radio, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Ian. And if you hear the music and certainly the voices in the background, you'll know that that means it's French Quarter time, and we're back in New Orleans. So join us for the next hour as we let the good times roll from Dickie Brennan's newest gem, Tableau, located in Jackson Square. And that's right, dear work. Excited to be back in New Orleans for our seventh annual French Quarter Festival broadcast. As always, we look forward to being in New Orleans every year, and we're pleased to share that coverage with all of our audience and the international attention and recognition that the show uh, has garnered. We recently received two awards from the North American Travel Journalists Association, and one award was for our 2013 French Quarter Festival broadcast. We're hoping to continue this momentum with this year's show as well. So for the next hour, we're going to discover some interesting developments in New Orleans, including the buzz that Hulk Hogan created. We'll also explore New Orleans history with two prominent professors from the University of New Orleans who will join us to discuss the contributions Africans made to the development and culture of the city. And we'll look at the practice and history of voodoo in New Orleans. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and joined by my wife, Tanya, this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. This segment is supported by the National Children's Cancer Society, improving the quality of life for children with cancer and their families worldwide. Please visit the nccs.org. That's the nccs.org today and show your support for the world's children with cancer. Well, you know, honey, we've been coming to New Orleans for years, and each visit has revealed something new, exciting, and unique to the Big is Easy. We've been very blessed to visit New Orleans during French Quarter Festival and to welcome friends like Kelly Schultz and our new BFF, Brad, <laughs> Brad Weber, from the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau into our family. Uh, we've always recruited Kelly as a co-host on our show, and this year we've twisted Brad's arm as well. So they're both here. <laughs> to talk to us about the new happenings in New Orleans. Thank you both again for joining us. Our Thank pleasure. You. So, okay, Kelly, um, you have some exciting news to share, but I first want to talk about the white elephant in the room, and that's the controversy that Hulk Hogan recently <laughs> stirred up in New Orleans. What was that about? Well, New Orleans just hosted WrestleMania, which if your listeners have never experienced a WrestleMania, it is something to be seen. It was quite an <laughs> entertaining and spectacular yes. and of course Hulk Hogan was here throughout the week and the controversy was that he came out on Sunday night at the Superdome and he was talking and he said everyone welcome to the Silver Dome and he said it actually three times oh, wow. accidentally of course you know as, as a Detroiter I kind right. of appreciate that yeah. reference and so the crowd started chanting Superdome Superdome and so he corrected himself and said I'm so sorry of course we are in the Mercedes Ben Superdome and it it was one of those things that really took off on Twitter and people were kind of laughing about but um, and then on Monday night for Monday Night Raw there was a joke about it as well so but I will tell you that Wrestlemania brought 125,000 fans 
Orleans to New Orleans. Last, last Sunday night in the Superdome with WrestleMania, it broke every record for the Mercedes-Benz Superdome ever. The highest grossing event. Unimaginable. Uh, amazing. Above and beyond the, the yeah, Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Bigger than Super Bowl, bigger than Beyonce, con- anything you can imagine that's been held in that building. WrestleMania broke the record. It was people from every single state and 37 countries. They have the most loyal fans, and they really enjoy themselves in New Orleans. Holy cow. Brett, I understand Hulk also gave you a noogie. He did. Yes, he did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in New York City, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that had to have been special. <laughs> it, it goes in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as, as, we, as, we, it was, as we said earlier, you know, there's always something new, and I unusual coming to New Orleans, and there's a festival that we missed um, that I found out about most recently, the Buku Arts and Music Festival. That speaks to me. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, this was an, actually a new festival that launched this year. Um, it was in, held in March at Mardi Gras World, which is a wonderful venue. And it was actually it was the third annual this year. It was not okay. the first one. Um, but it's called the Buku Music and Art Project. And it's a um, progressive music and arts festival. It featured lots of local artists, lots of national artists. Um, It was held at Mardi Gras World and things that were unique. I mean, of course, there was great music like any festival, but they had um, a a graffiti wall. They had lots of different art exhibits. um, And they had some things happening on the historic steamboat on the Mississippi River. So Mm. it's just an example of, you know, even if you travel to New Orleans often like you guys do, there's always something new to discover. There's mm-hmm. always something new being created. Um, even here at French Quarter Fest, it gets bigger and bigger every year. Now they're up to more than 20 stages around the French Quarter. So, Holy and an cow. extra day. You know, the Thursday start to this festival is fairly new as well. Right. So, whether it's the Buku Music and Art Project, French Quarter Fest, any of our wonderful events like Essence Music Fest during the summer, mm-hmm. there is always something new to discover in New Orleans. We now have more festivals that we do actual weekends in a year. (laughs) We just broke that record. You know, one of the things that I like about New Orleans, particularly when you travel uh, through some of the neighborhoods like along Magazine Street, you you see just the sheer number of local shops and the vibrancy that that adds. And I, I don't think many people think about the hundreds of antique shops that are here and one-of-a-kind boutiques in the French Quarter, but there are parts of the city, just as I mentioned, like Magazine Street, that are really fantastic places that uh, you know add something more. And, and even though you continue to grow and, and prosper your retailing scene here, that really makes New Orleans kind of a special place. Well, it does. When we had dinner Thursday night at Dominique's mm-hmm. on Magazine Street, you know, that is a part of the city that Brad and I love. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of visitors don't realize that it's there right right well it's kind of like frenchman street you know a lot of people ask you know where to go where do the locals go and you know locals will point them to frenchman street and not urban street that's right which we try to stay away from actually (laughs) you know speaking of retail there's actually some exciting news with the riverwalk yes the outlet collection at the riverwalk mall is going to open this may and it'll actually be the first 
major downtown upscale outlet mall mm. anywhere in the country. Wow. wow. So if you're coming here to shop, which a lot of our international visitors do, uh, I'm seeing your smile when you <laughs> see Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus. Outlet. Score. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> so, and it's great if you're coming here for a convention, it's right next to the convention center. Mm-hmm. If you're getting off of a cruise ship or boarding a cruise ship, it's right next to the port. So we are really, really thrilled about Riverwalk opening soon. Um, I, I am too, actually. I'll just I'll just throw that in. Um, with the last couple of minutes that we have left, I want to ask you guys about the film industry here. You know, there's a couple of television shows that I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I, I love. Um, they, they're set in New Orleans. One is called The Originals, and it has vampires and werewolves and um, witches. And a lot of the new shows that feature New Orleans seem to be focus on the occult. How do you guys, as convention and visitor, you know, as part of the tourism board, how do you guys feel about this? You know what? I, I, I have no issues with it all because I think there's such an incredible mystique in our city. Uh, there's so many things that attract people. And there can be no such thing as a, as a bad press or bad movie situation, you know, to bring people into our city. So we're thrilled. And then there's also incredible, I mean, if you look at Academy Award films that were just this year, 12 Years of a Slave, Dallas mm-hmm. Buyers Club, were filmed here as well. And I have to say, it is amazing. Already our city looks like an incredible movie set, mm-hmm. but then to actually see films being made here at the same time, it's been nothing but a huge boost for us. That's why the film producers and, and TV producers love New Orleans, because it's so authentic. You don't have to create a set. It's right. already here. Right. And that's why they love coming here. So we love you know, driving to work in the morning. Just about every day I see a film crew somewhere. Um, we did 60 productions last year with the, the city of New Orleans film office um, and it's it's a great thing for our economy it's great when these you know productions come out and everyone around the world sees New Orleans and makes them want to visit so it's a really good thing and we actually have now surpassed California as a location for filming which many people do not realize exactly. mm-hmm. and you know you have the tax incentives here too which Absolutely. makes it even that more Absolutely. attractive huge. well only in New Orleans thank you guys for uh, doing what you're doing here thank you thank you so we're going to take a, uh, a quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to talk to an esteemed professor from the University of New Orleans. <laughs> She's rolling her eye, very modest, uh, Dr. Uh, Mary Mitchell, uh, who will share uh, about the African contribution to the growth of the city. So we'll see you on the other side of this break as World Footprints continues from Tableau and Jackson Square. found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Thank you, man. You 
are one of the baddest dudes on the planet. Oh. <laughs> you know it. Come on. Oh, you know that's true. I appreciate that. I'll take that as a huge compliment. Uh, coming honestly, I saw you last year at the Hornets pep rally, and, uh -huh. I, and I was I thought I saw James Brown before oh. me. It was so bad. Thank I mean, you. bad. Well, you know what? And you did a move, and I thought it hurt me because I thought I don't do splits anymore. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I saw well, you going down. I still have a few years. Oh. I don't know how much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> You're listening to World Footprints exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival live from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts. Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick here, along with uh, our esteemed team with uh, Ed Cole, my beautiful wife, Tanya Fitzpatrick, uh, all of our family and friends here, and it's wonderful to be here in New Orleans. And I have to tell you, uh, that last segment, uh, that clip from 2010 with Rockin' Doopsy Jr., if you've never seen the king of Zydeco music, he is incredible. Pat Sajak loves this guy. Whenever you look at Wheel of Fortune and he comes to New Orleans, he has him on. And he has influenced so many musicians. And he, for me, embodies what James Brown was for me growing up as a, as a kid. The diverse heritage of the people of New Orleans makes this city very unique, interesting, and alive with traditions that are not found in any other city in the country. New Orleans is a place with Africans where they intermingled with Native Americans and Europeans, creating a sustainable culture that keeps... New Orleans unique even to this day. The African contributions to this city is vast, but little is known about it. Dr. Mary Mitchell is a professor of history at the University of New Orleans, and she joins us to fill in this information gap. Dr. Mitchell, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you. Tell us about the first Africans to touch New Orleans soil. Well, it seems as though the first enslaved Africans came into New Orleans in 1719. And there was, so that was the sort of the first wave of, of Africans into the city. And New Orleans is kind of unique in that it had kind of two waves of Africans with a gap in between. So you had this first wave come in in the early 18th century, then you don't have any importation for a little while, and then it gets restarted under the Spanish colonial regime. So you have people that sort of creolized a little bit, mm -hmm. and then you have Africans coming over who are not Creole, who are African, bringing... And so it sort of brought in a sort of a new infusion of, of African culture, African music, African language, everything. Now, I understand we did a couple of plantation tours yesterday, mm -hmm. and the um, Africans that they said first on the tour, they said first came to or were imported to mm -hmm. New Orleans, came from Senegal. Is that... Accurate. That's right. Most of them seem to have come from the Senegambian region of West Africa. Okay. Um, so, which is which is good to know for historians because then that helps us kind of understand what their culture was like in Africa, and then they in turn understand a little bit more about what they contributed here. Mm -hmm. Particularly, Senegambians were good with ironworking, uh, and so they brought a lot of those skills over with them when they came. Uh huh. Okay, so they were brought over as, you know, labor. I mean, specific labor. Absolutely. I mean, the colony was struggling in the early 18th century, and they knew. If you read all the governor's notes and, and letters back and forth to the um, to France, they're they're struggling to keep it afloat, and they say we need. African labor. You mm -hmm. have to have it. Now, you, you mentioned, you know, Creolized. Some were Creole. Mm -hmm. Just the whole concept of, of 
Creole. Um, talk about that and some of the early racial ethnic dynamics that took place. Yeah, sure. Well, Creole is a contentious word, as anybody in New Orleans will tell you. <laughs> um, but basically, the best way to define it is anyone with with ethnic roots somewhere else who was born in the Americas. So that could include Africans, that could mm-hmm. include um, uh, people whose roots are in France and Spain, all over. So it, it's an all-encompassing word. So when you're looking for the sort of ethnic roots in New Orleans, you see in the colonial period all these different groups coming together, but very quickly creolizing, which, mm-hmm. is, which is that they made an entirely new culture out of a combination of all those other um, cultures. And so New Orleans is probably one of the more diverse places, certainly in North America. Even in the 19th century, it's probably one of the most diverse cities uh, because it's a port mm-hmm. uh, and because it had a strange colonial history with French and the Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm curious when I was preparing for our interview with you today, I tried to do some research and there's very little uh, about the African contribution to New Orleans mm-hmm. online. And I'm just wondering, um, I'll just ask, you know, Kelly and uh, and Brad, you know, particularly growing up here, Kelly, you know, with the, this being part of your history, how much of this history did you learn in school? Because I've never learned anything, not, not like this. I mean, how was it? What What do you remember? What do you know? What did you know growing up about the African contribution to the city? Well, you know, we were always brought up, you know, thinking of New Orleans as the northernmost Caribbean city and really being a, you know, melting pot of all different cultures, whether that's African-American, Caribbean, French, Spanish. You know, we grew up just knowing that the city was such a rich diverse history. So um, it's really fascinating, you know, just like earlier we had the historic New Orleans collection on. Um, there's so much here that people do not realize about the history of the city, even right. as locals, you know, you kind of discover new things all the time. And, and to have experts here, it's it's really helpful to just kind of remember what a treasure this is and what a rich history oh, yes. we have. Brad, and I, I remember you're, you were raised in the Midwest like Correct. we were. Yes. I didn't get this teaching in Michigan. No, no, nor did I. And quite frankly, it wasn't until I decided to, to move down here and take this position. Mm-hmm. I did a cultural immersion work at some university, and that's when I really learned more about this. I mean, it is so rich yes. and incredible to know. And I will say that there is, um, especially with the African history of the city, there's sort of a silence built into the sources that we have, especially the textual sources. Mm-hmm. So when the colonists first come, whether they're French or they're Spanish, they're very interested in talking about their relations with Native Americans, because that's diplomacy. Right? That, that They have to sort of cooperate mm-hmm. with Native American groups. There's a big silence when it comes to Africans and African culture and, and their contribution, aside from the assignment of labor. Wow. When we look at New Orleans, and we've been fortunate on our trips to to learn more about it, we have learned a lot about about uh, the African contributions as artisans, as furniture makers, but the architectural look and feel of New Orleans uh, from the design of homes, that has a strong set of uh, African antecedents. Would you speak to that? Sure. Um, well, certainly the, the shotgun house is the one that people usually point to, and uh, there's been debate about actually where it comes from, but certainly the Caribbean um, is full of shotgun houses as well, and it does resemble construction within uh, West Africa as well. So it seems 
unfortunately, a lot of what you, the answer is is creolism. That that all of these forms get creolized in the process of colonization, and they 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 become a combination of things. But yes, they do have African um, roots. There's definitely a contribution there. It wouldn't be creole otherwise. It would just be sort of French inspired or <laughs> or something like that. And what about some of the other influences, like musical traditions, um, even dancing traditions? You know, I'm thinking about the Mardi Gras Indians, in fact. And, um, you know, I mean, there has to, there's such an intermingling of cultures here. I refer to New Orleans as a cultural gumbo, and that's essentially what it is. Yeah, and the, actually the word gumbo comes from an African. Oh, well, <laughs> it does. Of course Yeah, it so it, it um, but sure. So it seems like what, I'm not a music historian, but what music historians say is with New Orleans, there is a beat in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It is a percussive sound that is very particular to New Orleans. So a lot of the instruments and things may have, have um, Western roots, but the, but the beat is pretty unique, and they think that you know certainly it comes from that being the strongest pulse that you could contain um, or retain uh, from Africa, right? The, 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 the beat. So in Congo Square, I mean, those are the stories that you hear people dancing in Congo Square on Sundays. That's absolutely true, um, and that rhythm uh, is something that African peoples could um, keep alive. And you see it. I mean, you see it in the earliest jazz records. You see it even in some of the hip hop stuff that comes out today, you can still hear that that particular beat. And what about one of my favorite topics, um, food? Mm -hmm. What about the culinary influences? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's really hard to trace that. We know that African enslaved Africans are making most of the food, right? Right. Um, particularly in the colonial period and in the 19th century. Um, and so it's, it's hard to um, find exact roots, but certainly the rice, which they cultivated in Africa, becomes a staple here. Um, and the um, tomatoes and peppers and things that really come out of, of African cooking those seem to have probably been introduced by uh, Africans, but there's little sort of textual mention of that. So we're, mm-hmm. we're sort of dependent on archaeologists to try to figure this out. They find the seeds for us to look at right. uh, to explain to us what's what's being um, cooked in the kitchens. Okay. Okay. I, I'm just curious, how did you become interested in, in uh, the study of um, African contributions to the city? Interesting question. Um, I was mostly interested in African-American history around the time of emancipation Mm -hmm. and that moment when uh, four million people in the whole country go from being enslaved to being free. And New Orleans seemed like a terrific place to study that. So that's where I started doing my research because you had such a large population of free people of color here before the Civil War. And they, in themselves, had tremendous contributions to the city in terms of um, artisanry and masonry, uh, and certainly um, culturally, and so that group sort of started um, emancipation before emancipation, in a sense that they were really working to exercise freedoms, even though there was still slavery in place. Mm-hmm. And so that was an interesting population, and you really only get that particular population, which is still very Creole in many ways, in New Orleans, and a lot of those people had roots in Haiti. Uh-huh. And that introduces a whole another sort of complicated history that we probably don't have time to discuss, but that really transformed the city as well as refugees coming from Haiti in the 19th century. Okay. We're speaking with Dr. Mary Mitchell of the University of New Orleans as we broadcast live from the 31st Annual French Quarter Festival. 
a lot of places have really placed an emphasis on storytelling and showing uh, African-American history in their cities through trails, through museums and things like that. And we know New Orleans has a museum as well. What sorts of initiatives can you share with us that the city has taken to really put that history, to put that history out there so people can discover it even when they're in places like the French Quarter or other parts of the city? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think maybe the one most tourists encounter is the um, National Park Service, I believe, uh, runs the Laura Plantation out on River Road, and then they have the Creole Townhouse. And to me, that's one of the best um, things that people can do in terms of trying to understand that dynamic of how people actually lived in, in the 19th century in New, in New Orleans. Um, and they've done a really good job of trying to excavate that history of families across racial lines. It's all one family, but they're Creole, and they're, they're of African descent, and they're of French descent, and they, they, they move back and forth between plantation and, and the city itself. So that's, that's one thing that the Park Service has been doing. And also the Park Service has the, um, the jazz um, center over on, on the... On the um, Decatur Street, uh, which is another sort of really rich resource because it brings in musicians, particularly a lot of these elderly jazz musicians Mm -hmm. for oral interviews and for performances and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of history will get lost if it's not recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, jazz itself is is imperiled in some ways, at least the traditional jazz forms are sort of imperiled and you have to record those voices. Mm -hmm. So those are two things in particular, I think, that that have been very helpful. I mean, I would love to see more online resources because there really isn't anything out there. And, and, you know, and the history is just too rich as well to, to get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think without additional resources, and I you know, appreciate yeah. so much you coming on to our show to share, So because this will be archived in perpetuity okay. um, yeah. <laughs> for audiences. And, uh, you know, and, and, but I, I think it's just critical. Yeah, um, and the state, the state Museum has done a lot. If you go to Lewis Digital, that's sort of a consortium. It brings together digital stuff from archives all over the state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one place people can go to see some primary resource material. And the Historic New Orleans Collection is getting a lot of their things digitized they probably told you about already right, right. and available online okay um, I'm curious about the dynamics between the free people of color and the slaves because they ex- they coexisted mm-hmm. together how did that happen and mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. I didn't, I'm just trying to yeah. grasp yeah it's a, it's a very complicated story they so really under the Spanish colonial regime in the 18th century um, you see an explosion of free people of color and then um, in the early 19th century, with the refugees from Haiti, you see a, a large number of free people coming in. So it's not, it, some of it is sort of a society developed out of New Orleans, mm-hmm. and some of it is developed out of that refugee population. And so that, those two populations come to coexist within New Orleans. Um, so you have a lot of very prominent free people of color who are descended from those Haitian refugees, um, but you also have some who have their roots in the 18th century here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Now, their interaction with enslaved people, also kind of hard to figure out. Um, certainly there were some free people of color who were very wealthy and owned slaves, um, right. but there were, there were also free people of color who abhorred slavery and um, who sort of wrote poetry and, and, and things, um, cer- certainly in a veiled way before the Civil War. They had to kind of hide what they were talking about, but 
opposed to slavery, mm-hmm. right? Trying to sort of um, and trying to work towards a a better definition of freedom even before the Civil War for mm-hmm. people of color. Once you get to the Civil War, free people of color pretty quickly ally themselves with the former slave population politically. Okay. And that becomes very, very important um, because those people, the free people of people who were free before the Civil War are educated, they have resources, they even have a newspaper. And so they have access um, to you know, g- getting their political point across mm-hmm. uh, that perhaps uh, recently freed people did not. So it was a very important alliance between the two. Dr. Mitchell, in our closing minute with you, we we hear a lot about the written history here in New Orleans as it pertains to Africans because of the role of the Catholic Church and manumission papers and uh, the Code Noir. So so there's a lot that we know written from a from a historian's perspective. How does that make your job different than let's say historians who are studying African culture elsewhere who don't have those resources available to them? It's, it's a terrific place to work in that respect. The Catholic Church um, created a wealth of documentation of marriage records, death records, um, baptismal records, all of those things that you have for enslaved people as well as free people of color uh, that you don't have in other parts of the United States, that's for sure. But you, you also have things like the notarial archives here, which you don't have in in any other city in the country. Um, And every sale, every slave sale, every transfer of property, all of those things had to be notarized. And so it's a huge archive of those kinds of contracts, transactions. And even there, you find a wealth of information about enslaved people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate you so much for for joining us today and and sharing just a snippet of this wonderful, rich history. Um, And, you know, when we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to explore the history of voodoo, which I understand is another African import uh, to New Orleans. And, And We'll come back to you uh, right from Tableau uh, in Jackson Square, in the heart of the French Quarter. An anti-trafficking organization in India teaches former sex workers the skills of carpentry and printing. A cooperative in Brazil gives jobs to former forced laborers. And a boy from Ghana who was forced to work in the fishing industry goes back to school. Human traffickers exploit their victims, but by joining forces we can help the victims rebuild their lives. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking. UNGIFT.org Folks came to New Orleans looking for traditional New Orleans jazz and were surprised when they got here in the early 60s that there wasn't a dedicated venue where you could go here on a regular basis. Uh, these great musicians perform, people like Sweet Emma Barrett and William Percy Humphrey, Punch Miller, George Lewis, uh, dozens and dozens of people that, whose records they had been listening to when they were growing up and came to New Orleans and found a, a very small scene of, of jazz enthusiasts and they started holding these jam sessions at a venue right up the street from where we're talking now and out of those jam sessions through preservation house. You're listening to World Footprints exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival live from the Big Easy New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. 
people wouldn't describe voodoo as compassionate and beautiful, but Professor Martha Ward says that is exactly what she discovered when she first began researching the practice. Professor Ward is a voodoo historian and author of the book Voodoo Queen, The Spirited Lives of Marie Laveau, the only academic account of New Orleans' famous voodoo priestess and her daughter. A professor emeritus at the University of New Orleans, Professor Ward says that Hollywood and media have incorrectly racialized and stigmatized voodoo, and we're going to learn why. Professor Ward, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, some say that voodoo is as old as the African continent. What exactly is voodoo? Is it a religion, a tradition, dark magic, as some would also say? It's all of those things and more. These were uh, local spiritual traditions, and that's in a big and loose way in Africa, and they were the only baggage that people in the Middle Passage had was their knowledge of how these spiritual traditions worked. The music, the songs, the initiations, the purpose of all of this, and so in the New World, it came to be melded with Catholicism. Hmm. So wherever you find Catholicism and the institution of slavery in the New World, you find people who have taken these uh, brilliant folk traditions and changed them and used them, and they're always continually in motion and in evolution, these traditions. So they've been around, I mean, in the New World since the beginning, and in the Old World for as long or longer than say, traditions we're more familiar with, like Christianity or Judaism. That That's a, an incredible leap, with, um, you know, to... Yes, it is. Voodoo and Catholicism. <laughs> well, this is what you see. You see the direct contact with the saints, and you see the brilliant altars. And in New Orleans, these two traditions are very melded and mixed. You know, here's where where you see it. Now, one of the things voodoo in the New World, and in New Orleans in particular, has come to be is a is a way in which women could exercise their spirituality. So Marie Laveau I, who was the most famous of the voodoo leaders, uh, was a free woman of color. She was a really good Catholic, and she was... Uh, the leader of these, and, tr- and she helped train eventually uh, other leaders. And these were women who worked as community social workers, for example. Marie Laveau I herself was a fever nurse in a city without any medical practitioners, no orders of nursing nuns, no doctors who would treat free people of color or slaves. And if they did, you know, the treatment would be ghastly, arsenic and leeches and mercury mm-hmm. were their favorites. So these were nursing people in the community who had a really good reputation. These were people who, women who danced at the altar of St. Louis Cathedral itself. We have eyewitness accounts of that. They were people who did counseling in the community. And this is what I love about voodoo, particularly in matters of love, luck, and the law. (laughs) Wow. The three L's. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 
these and now now just think about your own lives for a minute and how many times you have needed advice or help on one of those matters. You want to form a business. You want to get a relative out of prison. You want a divorce in a Catholic city. You want your husband to get a job. You want your husband to be faithful to you. You want to get rid of your husband. <laughs> All of these are matters that voodoo addresses. Now, it's gotten the reputation for being dark. And so some people use the unfortunate phrase black magic. It's associated in the tourist mind. And believe me, we need the tourist dollars here, so I don't object too strongly. But it's associated with doing bad or hurtful things to others. Mm -hmm. And in all human religions, there are believers, practitioners, and others who, in effect, what we call walk on the dark side. The spiritual power that humans can generate is always out there. It's available to any of us at any time, particularly for people who are trained and and or desperate. You can choose to do dark things to others because we have those kinds of powers any human being does. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've cursed someone out. That's the dark side. I will neither admit nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's say our friends have. How's that? (laughs) But in the voodoo tradition, in the theology of voodoo, what goes round comes round, which Mm -hmm. is not a unique idea, certainly. But if you send a curse on someone, you will get it back. So we use our power judiciously. Now, in talking about voodoo, you've described it as compassionate and beautiful, and it's not an observation or two observations that people would generally make. No, no, it's not. I'd invite you to come to New Orleans and see some of the altars that have been built. They are magnificent pieces of folk art. They Occasionally you'll find one in a museum. Hmm. They're beautiful, and the dances that consecrate these altars and use them for spiritual purposes, they're works of art. The ceremonies, they are beautiful. I invite you to June 23rd at 7 o'clock on the footbridge over Bayou St. John. This is a, a tradition that has almost 300 years. The city will be 300 years old in a couple of years, and it's this has been here since the beginning, this spiritual use of Bayou St. John, and we have some fairly early accounts of it, and now it continues, and there's a beautiful head-washing ceremony, which is a blessing ceremony. So just as we're capable of cursing someone, we're capable of blessing them, and what goes round comes round, so the blessings come back to you. So the ceremonies themselves are just lovely. The blessings, the drums, the gifts, the candles, the special lights. So that is beautiful. I also think that in New Orleans, and this is again accounting for the rumors of darkness, the death rate of children was 50%. Infant mortality, half of your children died. It was certainly true in the Laveau's extended families. Your relatives died. You had lots of relatives, lots of friends in the community. And the French mourning customs or the Spanish mourning customs were elaborate. So wherever you have French, 
Spanish Portuguese in the New World, you've got brilliant mourning and grieving customs and elaborate burials and beautiful ceremonials and honoring the dead in many, many different ways. We generally think about voodoo and New Orleans. Uh, we kind of tie those two together and think of New Orleans as a place where where voodoo is introduced to to the states. Talk to us about the origins of voodoo, and uh, you've touched on the centrality of New Orleans in voodoo. Talk to us about its origins and and its role in New Orleans. New Orleans is. It's not the only place. You have Santeria from Cuba, but these were local. These were all local traditions. You have Macumba and Candomblé in Brazil, and many, many others, which are this syncretism between Catholicism and African spiritual traditions that were imported. So in New Orleans, first of all, it's a huge port, and you had so many people from so many places in the world going through. It was a unique place in terms of the institution of slavery. It was the place where we say, sold down the river, that phrase of betrayal. It was also uh, French and Spanish, and they had a much looser attitude toward color and its reproduction, shall we say, than the Anglos did, than Anglos do, as a matter of fact. So there came to be in New Orleans a very, very large the largest in the country, community of free people of color. Mm -hmm. And many of them were rich, many of them owned slaves, many of them bought slaves through manumission and other ways, which both the French and the Spanish encouraged and supported, uh, in contrast to the Anglos, who didn't. So there was this vibrant population here. It's jazz. Mm -hmm. They did it. It's architecture. It's food. It's a way of living in the world that is very, very different from Southerners, from Puritans, from Midwesterners, from anything that any cultures that the Anglos have produced. That has marked the city, and it is free people of color who built the city. They weren't slaves. But it's the, the slaves, I understand, who brought or introduced the practice of voodoo to this country? Yes, all of the, the majority of people from Africa arrived on, I think it's 23 French ships in the early 1700s, up to 1743. There were these French ships that came directly from the Senegal-Gambia regions of West Africa, and they were imported deliberately for their knowledge of hydrology. This is a very wet, swampy place, and you needed somebody to drain the swamps. The French certainly weren't capable of that kind of activity. Um, experts in indigo production, sugarcane production, and marketing, huge markets for which New Orleans has always been known. And these were all activities that the French didn't know, the Anglos didn't know, but that the people from West Africa did. It's typical in America to reduce them to sort of like slaves. Okay, we know what slaves are. But actually, they were often highly skilled people, and some of them came on their own, free will, to join their relatives. And many of them bought their way out of slavery, out of their peculiar status, as it were, within a few years of arriving. And it's that 
odd flexibility with the French and Spanish and Africans and people from all over the world. Native Americans played it a large part in this, too. They brought knowledge of how to make drums, what the songs were, so they brought these spiritual practices with them. The use of altered states of consciousness, the use of these special rhythms, the polyrhythms that so characterize African music and, of course, jazz. You know, that knowledge is in your head and in your heart. So, under the Code Noir, which is the black codes, which the French developed to manage the African population, Mm -hmm. which outnumbered them. Under the Code Noir, people in bondage were allowed to have Sundays off, carry guns, sell things they had made themselves or grown. They were allowed to marry in some cases, in many cases. They were allowed to buy themselves out of slavery. So this was this urban form of slavery was unique in the United States. And the, the French and Spanish influences on it were unique. The Catholic Church didn't have any bishops. So their local people, it was one really extraordinary man, Père Antoine, who became a saint of the people, and he was a monk, a Capuchin monk. He was Marie Laveau's best friend. They nursed parishioners, and nursing meant being with them when they died and laying out the body for burial and praying for the passage of their souls, which in the French and Spanish tradition was no small thing, and given the high rate of mortality was no small thing. When people travel to New Orleans, and we travel to New Uh Orleans, and we're there every April, how many practitioners, voodoo practitioners, um, still exist in New Orleans, and where can people learn more about the practice outside of, you know, these cheesy, touristy type right, right, things that you right. see all over the quarter? That is a good question with a hard answer. <laughs> and I'm asked that regularly. As an anthropologist like me, I go around the community searching for these things. And I don't think tourists would find them easily at all. Well, let me put it this way. Where I take my friends, I start at the tomb of Marie Laveau, which is a major tourist destination, and there there will be a tour guide right as I speak mm-hmm. uh, there now in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, and we start there. We move to Miriam Chimani's temple on Rampart. It's called the Voodoo Spiritual Temple. We can go to read historic accounts and follow in the footsteps of the practitioners like the Laveaux. They were in St. Louis Cathedral. They were at the Café du Monde. They were in other cemeteries. I take people to the Spiritual Botanica on Broad, the FNF store. We can buy spiritual merchandise. That's a big business. The candles, the potions, the oils, the aromas, all of these are important. There's the Pharmacy Museum where you can find a whole wall filled with the Love Potion Number 9. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do, actually. Okay. Remember the song. Uh, listen, it works. <laughs> I am happily married. How much does it sell for? To a man for whom the voodoos did charms for me. Oh, my. <laughs> my daughter wanted to get pregnant at a slightly advanced 
age, and you know those problems, we went to the voodoo practitioners and we got blessings for that. And now I have three beautiful grandchildren under two. Oh, bless. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we are all happy and pay tribute to the voodoo's blessings. So to me, it's all around me. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to the Jazz Fest and it's there. I see the Mardi Gras Indians and that they're another manifestation or representation of this same flow of cultures, this complex flow and meeting and merging of cultures that New Orleans is. Mm -hmm. To summarize, no casual tourist can see these things. Sure. Professor Ward, as we wrap here, we had opened the segment with you by talking about the racialization and stigmatization of voodoo. And in our closing minutes, talk to us about that and Uh, and, uh, perhaps the unfairness of of, uh, that charge. New Orleans... In 1850, for the decade of 1850 and until the beginning of the Civil War, was uh, probably the richest city in North America and had the second largest population. It was an extraordinary, glamorous, brilliant, scintillating time. By that time, there was huge fear beginning to be huge fears of slave rebellions and of war and of the official end of slavery. I mean, people were were thinking. So the legislature of the state and the city of New Orleans, the city council in their wisdom, passed a great many anti-slavery laws. And the police and the newspapers were involved in this. And it became necessary, became to demonize free people of color, slaves. I mean, this had been going on since the beginning of the Republic, but it increased in magnitude. And so I followed the newspaper accounts from the early 1800s until up to the Civil War, and you find this drumbeat of fear and hysteria and condemnation building in each decade. And more and more rights of free people of color, the right of assembly was taken from them, the right of free speech, the right of religious practice. They were kicked out of Catholic churches. More and more repression, more and more arrests, strip searches of women, more and more disruption of the ceremonies. Then after the Civil War, the hysteria builds into Jim Crow. Plessy versus Ferguson. We got segregation. We got Jim Crow after the Civil War. And that's the culmination. Those things, incidentally, those all originated in New Orleans. You can follow the newspaper accounts as they build and build and build. And so the journalists did the same thing journalists do today. Don't don't take this personally. No worries. <laughs> they bought into each other's stories. Mm-hmm. So they repeated not what they had gone out to investigate, like historian or an anthropologist, not what they could they observed independently because they didn't. And they just borrowed each other's stories and repeated them. My favorite being the time that, that a journalist crashed a dance on the lakefront that was sponsored by Marie the Second, who was gorgeous and very sexy and a brilliant dancer. And she gave these stunning ceremonial sets people just loved. And of course, listen, at the bottom line is New Orleans loves a good party and can throw one hell of a good party, okay? (laughs) So she's having a big party ceremony on the lake, and this reporter goes out, and he is so upset at people dancing in the firelight with 
You know, it's summer. They don't have on a lot of clothes. They're loose and white and... They're having a great time, and there's a big pot of gumbo boiling, which he sees snakes coming out of, which are, of course, sausages, undoey, boudin. And Marie Laveau, entirely naked, drew from her pocket some gunpowder and threw it in the fire. So the reporters are always, they always just say, entirely naked. The establishment had much to fear for the changes at the end of slavery, and they demonized free women of color in particular, who were extraordinarily independent, who had much more property and power in the community and status than did white women, their counterparts. I am so fascinated, uh, Professor Warden. I know we could do a whole two hours. I know, we could. History show <laughs> with you, and we, we really do want you to come back on our show and just to talk about more and even your life's journey which I find fascinating having, you know, traveled all the all around the world and the programs, right. cultural anthropology programs, your work with the World Health Organization, et cetera, to your jump to um, voodoo his, historian. Um, so you have an open door uh, to Good. us again. That's wonderful, Tanya. Yeah. It's so nice to meet you all. It's our pleasure, and thank you so much for giving us just this brief history lesson. I know we haven't even, uh, this is just the, the top of the cake right now. We haven't even cracked the surface. Uh, okay, but- well, come down for June 23rd for the St. John's Eve celebration or the third Saturday in July for the turning hurricanes, which is really important, or for November 1st, which is the Feast of All Saints. Well, we never need an excuse to come down okay. to New Orleans. Good. So we Good. No, you. seriously, do this, because I take people around to things that tourists will never see. <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Professor Martha Ward is a professor emeritus at uh, University of New Orleans and the author of the book Voodoo Queen The Spirited Lives of Marie Laveau Thank you so much for joining us today You are so welcome My pleasure Well you know for many years Kelly Schultz has been a constant companion to us When we've come to New Orleans (laughs) Golly I knew this was going to happen But as we know sometimes good things come to an end and while our friendship will endure, this will be Kelly's last broadcast with us. Um, but we picked up Brad. We, we thank you and we love you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but Kelly has accepted a wonderful job with St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis. And as odd it will be, as it will be to come to New Orleans without seeing Kelly, we look forward to connecting with her in Tennessee. Kelly, congratulations, my dear, on your new chapter. Spend some time, spend a couple of minutes sharing with us what you'll be doing next. Well, thank you, Tanya, and I agree with you that our friendship will continue, um, even though I'm not going to be with the CVB. But um, I just had an opportunity with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, which is a wonderful organization that helps children with the deadliest forms of cancer and other diseases. Many people um, only think that the work there is related to children's cancer, but they treat lots of other diseases as well. Um, It's a wonderful organization that um, all of the funds raised for the hospital treat the patients, the families 
do not pay anything for treatment of their child. They do not pay for housing. They do not pay for meals. So I have an opportunity to work as part of their marketing and communications area. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was something that came up that I just couldn't really say no to. So I'll be working with the the PR and marketing team at St. Jude and at ALSAC, which is the fundraising organization for the hospital. So I'm extremely honored and um, looking forward to this next chapter. Well, you know, I mean, I think you, you've you come back to New Orleans at a time when New Orleans needed you. You did what you were supposed to do, what, everything you could do. And um, these festivals and the record numbers of visitors speaks to that. So thank you so much. And, you know, we want to congratulate you again. And we have a, um, a small token of our appreciation, which the moms um, are going to present to you. And they want to say a few a few words. Kelly, I'm going to miss you. I thank you for everything that you've done for us. And this is a a small token of us. Thank you so much. Kelly, I just want to thank you for all your hospitality that you have given to me when I've come to New Orleans. I will miss you. I'm not going to say goodbye, but I will say I'll see you later. And this also will give me an opportunity to visit Memphis. I understand they have good food there, but not as good as it is in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Now you guys need to have thank a reason to come to Memphis. Absolutely. So thank you for this gift. And Ed? Kelly, it's been a great seven years. I can't believe it's just flown by the way it has. We thank you for everything you've done for us. You know we love you. We're going to miss you. And now we have another place to go to, <laughs> Memphis. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm going to miss you guys, too. Thank you so much. And, Kelly, as we started with the goodbyes on a Thursday, I just wanted to say to you how, how, how important you have been to us. And I know that the success that we have achieved is in part because of your gratitude and just the hospitality. And as I've said, uh, you never leave New Orleans. You never leave New Orleans. You take New Orleans with you whether we're here or we're not here. New Orleans is always in our hearts and uh, because it gets up in, in you. And so we can't, we can't ever leave New Orleans. And we thank you for just... Hmm. being a big part of our lives and making our time in New Orleans memorable and special and all of my fondest memories are here because of you and I thank you so much for that Kelly and you know Kelly will always be a part of the World Footprints family because she's an advisory board member and And that will not change exactly with me (laughs) and that's okay but we've also picked up a new advisory board member in Brad Weaver Weber I'm sorry so we we are happy happy happy. yeah and um and so Brad maybe next year will also be the um accidental uh, co-host there you go on World Footprints Radio. But we've had a wonderful time here and you know, I love I love you. Um, I it, you know, I love the, that we connected immediately when I was working for the uh, the government um, way back when and uh, we just kept in touch and that just really speaks to who you are and I think your spirit has really shined through um, in New Orleans. You know, everybody knows you, uh, Kelly Schultz and they equate you with New Orleans and, and so we wish you the best of luck 
Um, we look forward to following your career at St. Jude's and beyond. I know it's going, you know, get to the pinnacle there and move on to... Well, New Orleans is always my hometown, and I appreciate you guys and this show for what you have done for my hometown, for helping rebuild the city after Katrina. You know, it's really amazing. And for your moms, for single-handedly supporting tourism in the city. <laughs> if you think about, you know, this city nine years ago was under 80% water. 80% of the city was underwater. Yeah. And today we are in the most beautiful place with a festival that's packed with people. And we were named best place to visit in the world. So it's really been an honor to be part of this. And you guys have been part of it. So oh. thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. <laughs> for our 7th annual French Quarter Festival broadcast and we look forward to continuing the party with you on Facebook and Twitter. Connect with us at World Footprints and visit our website at worldfootprints.com for news, updates, travel tips, and more. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick broadcasting live from New Orleans. We'll be looking forward to next year, but in the interim, we look forward to seeing you on the air. Until our next broadcast, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time.